use what you say in Scripture to help us know your presence and find encouragement this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the highlights of my life was when our first child was born. I think every parent feels that way. Especially those first few days when we were still in the hospital. I mean, we had this cute new baby. We were so excited. The nurses were there to help us. And then we took her home and realized we had no clue how to take care of a baby. None. And she didn't eat for the first few days. She didn't sleep. All she did was cry, especially at night. We were only getting one or two hours of sleep. And after a couple of days of that, we were not in our right mind. Okay, this, this is an important detail. We were not in our right mind. And I remember getting up one morning after one of those horrible nights and my wife sitting on the edge of the bed, sleep-deprived, not in her right mind, and she said in a very innocent voice, do you think there'd be a scandal at the church if we put her up for adoption? (laughs) I think so. Now, we went on to have two more kids, so obviously we love our kids. We got over that, but in that moment... We felt discouraged and we just wanted to quit. Only you can't because there's no backspace button on a kid, right? Most of us at one time or another, I think, feel discouraged. I know some of you never do. I don't even understand you. But the rest of us, once in a while, we feel discouraged. And we end up just wanting to quit whatever it is that is making us discouraged. Whether it's tough times at work or difficulties with our kids relational problems with a friend or a relative, some ministry we've been doing and it's not going very well, at various points, we get discouraged and we just want to quit. And sometimes that can even happen after some great euphoric event, like having a baby. And in those times we wonder, God, where are you? And why aren't you helping? This summer I've been talking about Old Testament risk-takers, People who made a bold move to follow God. We talked about Abraham, who followed God step by step. We talked about Moses, who delivered Abraham's descendants out of slavery and into the promised land. Last week, we looked at Gideon and how he defended that promised land against Israel's enemies. All of them made bold moves to follow God, and all of them saw God do amazing, miraculous things. But all of them also felt discouraged from time to time. And if we're going to make bold moves to follow God like they did, then just like them, we will face discouragement and at times just want to quit. That's part of life and that's part of faith. And that's what's going on in the story about the prophet Elijah that we just read. Elijah lived during the reign of one of Israel's first, uh, worst kings. Israel's first couple of kings were pretty good. They turned out okay. But after that, they went bad, as kings are wont to do. You know, kings and fish, got to throw them out every so often. So God would raise up people called prophets. And part of the prophet's job was to go to the king and chastise him when he was messing up and not following God, and the king was supposed to obey. Doesn't that sound like a handy thing? Don't you think we could use a prophet in America? You know, he could go yell at a government official or two, you know, woe to you this, brood of vipers that. I think we'd all feel much better, don't you? Elijah was one of those prophets. And he operated during King Ahab's reign, who was one of the worst kings of Israel and was married to the worst queen ever. Her name was Jezebel. And she worshipped this false god 
named Baal. And as part of that, she did all kinds of horrible things, including killing all of God's prophets so that people would worship Baal instead of God, since it made her so happy. So Elijah sets out to prove that God is the one true God and that Baal is not. So he calls all the prophets of Baal together, sets up an altar, puts a sacrifice on it, and said, whichever God sends down fire from heaven, that's the true God. And prophets of Baal, you can go first. So they call on Baal all day long and nothing happens. And at the end of the day, Elijah steps forward, says this simple prayer to God, and instantly fire comes down out of the sky, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, and at the same time ends a three-year drought and it starts to rain. Okay, that's a good day at the office for a prophet. Right, he went home and said to his wife, guess what I did today? I called down fire from heaven. And I'm sure she said, oh, that's nice. I'm so proud of you, dear, right? I mean, he had this great day. But then the queen, Jezebel, gets mad. So she hires some hitmen to kill Elijah and puts out a 24-hour contract on his life. And when Elijah finds out about that, he gets discouraged, runs away, asks God that he could die. He just wants to quit. And that's the story that we just read. Now, you would think that after seeing fire come down from heaven, right, you would think that when he heard the queen was try- trying to kill him, his response would have been, oh, please. Right, give me, tell it to the hand, right, because I don't care. Right? You would think that would have been his response, but no. He just kind of sinks into despair. He has this great speech. In fact, he says it twice. I've been very zealous for the Lord, but everyone has forsaken God, and I'm the only one left. There's actually 7,000 people left, but I'm the only one left. Poor me. He's just having this big old pity party, even though 24 hours earlier, he'd just seen God do this dramatic miracle. You ever do that? You ever just kind of want to give up? Maybe start to withdraw into yourself? Just want to be alone? Don't want anyone else coming around you to encourage you, cheer you up. Don't want any of that. Don't want any of their faith. Don't want any of their hope. Right? I do it all the time. Just kind of throw myself a pity party and invite over all my pity party friends. You know, invite over resentment and his best friend self-loathing. Can't have a pity party without them, right? Invite over despair and hopelessness. Invite over anger and bitterness, the twins, right? That's what I do. I just sort of sink into discouragement. But what Elijah's story shows is that God meets us in that discouragement and he pulls us out of it in some really simple ways. And the first way God pulls us out of discouragement is he says to us, go to sleep. Elijah in this story is exhausted. He's had a tough couple of days and so he goes to sleep. He wakes up. God gives him some food. God's kind of his mother here. Gives him some food. Eat your soup, right? And then he goes back to sleep. Sometimes it's just that simple. God designed us to need rest. That's why he tells us to take one day off every week, a Sabbath, to just rest and be with him. And when we don't do that, we kind of get messed up. And our emotions go crazy and we get discouraged. And sometimes the best cure for discouragement is simply to rest. There's a psychiatrist in New York whose main therapy is to tell people to sleep eight hours every night for six months straight and then come back and see how many of their problems are left. Almost none of them need to come back. 
because their problems go away. Sometimes it is just that simple. Eat right, exercise, go to sleep. When you're working on some problem or issue and you can't figure it out, go to sleep. When you're up late at night and stressed out and fretting like I do, go to sleep. The Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. So if you're up late at night and you're trying to figure out a problem and you're worried and stressed out, that's because you've run out of that day's mercies. You need to go to sleep so you can wake up and get a fresh batch of mercy the next morning, right? (laughs) Go to sleep. Rest. Take a vacation. You would be surprised how God can speak to you in Maui. It is amazing. (laughs) The word of the Lord on the beach. This summer I ended up massively overbooking myself at work. And one of the elders heard me sharing this, a.k.a. complaining. And he said, you know, if you overbooked yourself, you can unbook some things. And maybe, just maybe, God can hold this church together without your anxious presence here every day. We have great elders in this church. You know, in our culture that tells us to go, 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 achieve, 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 the most counterculture, faith-filled thing we can do is take a Sabbath rest. Because when we do, we're saying that we believe that God is in control, not us, and that we trust him. Go to sleep. The second thing God does to pull us out of discouragement is he meets us in the battles of our lives, not just in the comfortable places. In this story, Elijah goes to Mount Horeb, also called Mount Sinai, which is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And he goes there because he figures, you know what, God showed up there once for Moses, maybe he'll do it again. It's a familiar place. It's a comfortable place. It's a retreat. But God says this interesting thing. He says, Elijah... What are you doing here? And then he sends him back to Israel to fight it out with the queen. When we're discouraged, I think sometimes we look for solace in the comfortable places. Sometimes that's places where we've found God before. Maybe a certain church or a pastor or a certain music. And often God is there, but he still says, you need to go back out into the battle. And sometimes we just try to escape, you know, entertainment or retreat from people or bad habits or you know, sort of escape fantasies. I'm going to be a mailman in California. Yeah. I get to wear shorts and walk around outside. That sounds cool, right? But God always says to us what he says to Elijah. What are you doing here? You know, go ahead and get some rest. That's fine. But I'm, going to not going to, I'm not going to take you away from your problems. I'm going to meet you in the middle of them. Psalm 23. In the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table before me. Not on the sidelines, but on the front lines where the battle rages. When God himself came to earth in the person of Jesus, he was born in a barn, died on a garbage heap, spent everything in between, healing the sick, confronting the powerful, and helping the poor. He has this thing about showing up in the middle of the battle, not just in the comfortable places. And the third thing God does to pull us out of discouragement is he speaks to us in the ordinary, quiet parts of our lives. I think one of the most surprising things to Elijah in this whole encounter is that God doesn't show up dramatically. Right? There's this earthquake, and then there's this wind, and then there's this fire, but God's not in any of those. He's in this still, small whisper, silence that could be heard. And a lot of times I think we expect God, when we're discouraged, to show up dramatically, a burning bush or you know, part the Puget Sound for us or something like that. 
But often he speaks to us in ordinary, normal things. Uh, Something a friend says to us or a line from Scripture, something we think of as we're praying. He shows up in the ordinary, quiet parts of life, not just the dramatic parts. God encourages us through rest, through meeting us where the battle rages, and to speaking to us in the ordinary things of life. And our job is simply to focus our eyes on him and not on our problems. The text says that Elijah was afraid. But the Hebrew word there actually means he saw. When Elijah, Elijah saw the hitman, when he saw Jezebel, when he saw his problems, he ran. What was visible discouraged him. And I think it's the same with us. We see the bills piling up or the relationship unraveling or the problems at work and we get discouraged. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, who conquered death, we can move forward. After I'd been doing college ministry for three years, I I finally felt like I was getting somewhere. The group had grown, and I felt like I was beginning to make a difference. And right about that time, the church I was working for hired a young guy to start a post-college ministry. And I was almost 40 at the time, and I was wondering if I was still relevant to college students or if I was getting too old. And, And this guy was 25, charismatic, had a ton of energy, and I felt a little bit threatened by him. Well, to make it worse... During my first meeting with him, he said to me, Scott, now that I'm here, I don't think the church needs you anymore. He said that. I think your college group can just be part of what I'm doing, and and you can go do something else. And then he leaned forward, and he said, Scott, people your age don't understand. People my age. Are we there now? Already? People your age don't understand, Scott. My generation wants the gospel to be relevant and authentic. And I said to him, can you tell me the generation that wanted it to be phony and irrelevant? (laughs) It wasn't mine, and it wasn't my parents or my grandparents. So we didn't get off to a good start. But I I figured my job was to support him, so I I prayed for him. Good prayers, honest. (laughs) Invited him to come to my college group and, and talk and Gradually, our relationship improved. Meanwhile, his post-college group just took off like a rocket. It was just growing by leaps and bounds. Some of my students started to go to his group, and they'd tell me how much better it was. And so I felt discouraged, and I, I, started to, I felt like I needed to quit before I became completely obsolete. Well, one night, I decided to go to his post-college group to hear him teach, and he was annoyingly good. And afterwards, they were having communion. And as people were going forward to receive communion, I was sitting in the back row and I started thinking, you know what, he's right. I I need to move on. You know, he is cooler than I am and he's a better speaker and, you know, he has hair. I don't have hair. I mean, this is just, you know, (laughs) this must be God telling me to quit, to go back to teaching. So I started to build this plan in my mind about how I could get a teaching job by the end of the year. And I was just sure that was God telling me to quit, you know, out with the old, in with the new, right? Probably never should have let Satan trick me into going into ministry in the first place, right? This is God correcting a fatal error. And I was literally ready to leave that worship service, that instant, go home and write a letter to Seattle Pacific University to see if they had any jobs open. But right before I did, I thought, well, I probably should pray about this. So I did, and I said, Lord, I've finally figured out your will for my life, haven't I? And then a few minutes later, this thought popped into my head. Scott, where in Scripture do I ever call anyone a loser? 
or failure or obsolete. And I thought, nowhere, Lord. And then instantly, the second question popped into my head and it said, then whose voice have you been listening to? And I said, well, that would be the devil's, wouldn't it, Lord? Good guess. And I felt God say, not in words, but in feelings, you're not done. Keep going. I know what I'm doing. So instead of going home to start my job search, I went up to the front to take communion from this young man, no longer my rival, but my partner. And a few weeks later, we talked about how our ministries could support each other. A few months after that, he asked if I would spend some time mentoring him. And in return, he taught me how to better relate to younger people. And I did college ministry for two more years until I got a clear call to come here. And my group flourished and his group flourished and I was very encouraged. When I fixed my eyes on what I saw, my problem, I was discouraged. But when I fixed my eyes on the Jesus I could not see but who nevertheless was there, and when I looked for him in the battle, not in the retreat, comfortable places of life, when I paused to listen to his still, small voice in my head, and when I rested in the grace that was available to me in that worship service, I was encouraged and renewed. So where are you discouraged today? And how can you get some rest so that you can hear God's still, small voice speaking to you? And how can you fix your eyes on Jesus and meet him, not necessarily in the comfortable places, but right there in the middle of that battle that you're facing? The prophet Isaiah says that they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. That is the promise of Jesus Christ, and he keeps it every single time. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you give encouragement to the discouraged. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that you would help us to hear your still, small voice speaking to us, your words of hope, your words of comfort, and your words of faith, so that we can be renewed to go into the battles that we face daily and shine for you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.